Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Ah, back to school. Everybody's excited, right? Yes, yes. Uh, it, interesting, you, you, you go through various stages. Uh, the juniors the, uh, in high school are going into this junior year with a little bit of trepidation because it's the junior year that the college administrators look at, you know, when they decide placement. So uh, the juniors are feeling the pressure of this year. Seniors, you know, they're waiting to hear. The applications, applications are, are in. And they're waiting to find out which, uh, which school they're going to get to, whether or not it's their first choice or their second choice. And, you know, it's important. What school you get into is very, very important. Of course, it's, uh, people look at uh, schooling a little bit differently, uh, depending on where you are. Uh, in New England, for example, uh, they don't ask you what, you what you do. They ask you where you went to school. And, you know... What they're expecting to hear is that you went to some Ivy League school and, you know, we've got people here in the sanctuary that went to went to Ivy League schools. So if you're up in New England, that's a question you can expect to be asked at some point. Where did you go to school down in uh, in the southeast? Uh, they don't ask you where you went to school. They want to know where your mommy and daddy went to school. Because in the South, it's all about history. It's all about uh, tradition. It's heritage. So they want to know where your parents went to school. Out here in California, they want to know what kind of car you drive. But that's a sermon for another day. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Education is, Im is important because you've got to get the right credentials uh, if you want to make it in this world, right? Well, at least that's what they're telling us. And uh, to a certain extent, oh, that is true. We, we want people who are properly credentialed. Uh, I, I, if I'm going to a doctor, I want to know that that physician has gone to a properly recognized school, that they've got the proper credentials. Uh, if, if I'm... Uh, if, but it extends beyond that. It extends to every area of our lives. If, if, uh, if, if, if I need a plumber, I, I want one that has the right credentials. If I need a, a mechanic for my car, I want one that has the right credentials. Credentials are very, very important, but they are not the only thing. And sometimes we get so focused on the credential that we lose sight of what the credential is actually for. And that's true not only in our day, it's probably true as far back as people started asking, where did you go to school? And certainly that was an issue in Jesus' day. Uh, the rabbis were highly, highly respected. And you wanted to train under a notable rabbi because that gave you credibility. And back in the day, when you taught as a rabbi, you would say who your teacher was so that people would know that they are getting the proper education from you. And as your rabbi taught, they would teach the tradition back through the chain of rabbis to establish their credibility. Well, this became an issue when Jesus began to speak because he didn't have that credential. Now, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it to the seventh chapter of John 
And the seventh chapter of John really is a trial. Actually, chapter six and seven, Jesus is on trial. He's on trial for a miracle that he performed that we read about in the first chapter. Or excuse me, in the fifth chapter. He, he healed a person at a pool of Bethesda. And not that he healed somebody, but that he had the audacity to do this healing on a Sabbath. Thus breaking the Sabbath law. And they were not happy. In fact, in that fifth chapter, as they challenged Jesus, he pushed back. They recognized the religious leaders of the day that the Sabbath was for us to obey. In their divine wisdom, they exempted God from resting on the Sabbath. Now, why did they do that? Well, looking around the world, it became very, very obvious that God was at work even on the Sabbath. The sun came up. The crops grew. Babies were born. Life continued. The universe did not hit the pause button on the Sabbath. Therefore, in their wisdom, they exempted God from following the fourth commandment. The only person who could work on the Sabbath legitimately was God. So here comes Jesus, who is fully human, yet fully God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So as Jesus engages in the Sabbath, remember that Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. Jesus, who does not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, so he empties himself and becomes like us, doing what? Always pointing to his heavenly Father. He never draws attention to himself. He's always pointing to his heavenly Father. My Father is at work. I am at work, even on the Sabbath. And they are incensed with this. And we read back in chapter 5 that uh, for this reason, chapter 5, verse 18, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So he flees Jerusalem at this point, and he goes and hangs out uh, in, in, in the region of Galilee. The problem is that there's a festival. The festival of, of tabernacles is, is getting ready to happen. And every adult male in that time was required, if they could, to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. Last week, we, we looked at his brother saying, hey, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to go up to Jerusalem, aren't you? To, to, the, to, the, to the Feast of the Tabernacles. If you want to be a public figure, you got to do your miracles in the public. So keep going. But we read in that that even his brothers did not believe who he is. Even his brothers don't believe who he is. Miracles are not enough. 
Jesus says, you know what? My timing is not yet right. Timing is everything. He sends his brothers, but he waits. But eventually he does go. And that's where we pick up the narrative in the 14th verse of the seventh chapter. Not until halfway through the festival, the feast, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and they asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a, a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Mo Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keep the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, although actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Make a right judgment. I love this section of Scripture. Jesus waits until halfway through the festival and he goes up and he starts teaching and the people are amazed at his teaching. To sit and listen to the teachings of Jesus must have been an amazing experience. Let me rephrase that a little bit. Sitting and listening to the teachings of Jesus is an amazing experience. Do you ever wonder what his teachings sounded like? Probably something like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I can imagine as people heard those words for the very first time, they just drank it in. It was so refreshing. In fact, we read at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that when Jesus had finished, and that's where those came from, the Beatitudes, and there would be a good place if you want to sit and absorb the teachings of Jesus, hang out in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And I love how it ends. 
the, at the end of the seventh chapter of Matthew, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When the teachers of the law spoke in the day, they did not speak with authority. They spoke on the authority of the rabbi under which they sat. And the, and the line kept going back and back and back. Well, according to Rabbi so-and-so who said thus and such, this is why we do what we do. There was always a trail to establish one's credentials in the teaching that was presented to the people. Jesus comes along and he doesn't teach with the authority of others. He simply teaches with authority. And the people are blown away. And what's the first question that they ask back here in chapter 7 of John? The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? We know Jesus. And we'll talk about that as we move through this chapter. They knew him. They knew where he was from. They knew he didn't go to any rabbinical school. He just shows up one day and he starts teaching and people are amazed. And when does that start? Back when he was 12 years old. You'll remember his parents took him to Jerusalem for the uh, for the Passover and they're and they're and they're and they're leaving and they're looking for Jesus. And oh, my gosh, we left him back in Jerusalem. So they run back to Jerusalem and they're searching around for him. They finally found him in the temple. What's he doing? He's talking to the religious leaders of the day who are blown away by the wisdom of this young man. Where does he get such wisdom? And his parents show up. It's like, what are you doing here? How come you cause us all this trouble? And he says, Did you have, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? At 12 years old, Jesus knew who he was. I don't think that he fully knew why he was coming yet. He emptied himself. Not thinking that equality with God is something to be grasped. Plus, I'm not so sure that the legacy and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the ministry and the destiny of a cross is something that would be appropriate to put on a 12-year-old. I personally think that happened when Jesus was baptized and went into the, the desert for 40 days, led by the Holy Spirit. That was a crash course in atonement theology where Jesus realizes that the cross is his destiny. To sit at the teachings of Jesus is a life-changing experience, and I highly encourage it. And you say, well, wait, 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 Pastor, you've been telling us all year we need to stay in the book of John and read the book of John. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Let, let, uh, you can set the Sermon on the Mount aside for right now. You want to stay in John? Hang out in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. There's some great teaching of Jesus in those four chapters. Great teaching. So just kind of hang there and, and, and let Jesus speak to you. One, one, of, the, one of the pieces of scripture, uh, the, uh, Eric, Eric Little, the champ, chariots of fire guy, uh, he was a, uh, after he won the gold, he went to China and was a missionary. And he wrote a book on spiritual disciplines. He said that every believer ought to work to memorize scripture and, uh, uh, and four bits of scripture that every 
Christians should commit to memory are the Ten Commandments, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer, and the Beatitudes. And that's good advice, except for the third one. I would say, you know, we, we, if I were to ask you right now to join me in the, in the Lord's Prayer, we'd all start out together. I would say, that's right, and we would go from there. But so it's a technicality. That's not, we call that the Lord's Prayer, but it's not really the Lord's Prayer. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. And he goes, okay, I want you guys to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven. That's a disciple's prayer. It's a model that he gave to the disciples. That's our prayer. So please join me in our prayer. If you really want to spend time in the Lord's prayer, then hang out in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. I mean, that's sitting in on Jesus having a conversation with his heavenly Father. And it is amazing. And you know what you'll find? You'll find in that 17th chapter in the Lord's Prayer that he prays in that chapter for you and me because he prays for those who will hear the good news through those who have already heard it. And that includes us. So spending time with Jesus, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, that's a class you can't afford to skip. Where's, where did this man get all this learning without having studied? And Jesus answers. He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Where does his teaching come from? It comes from God. Who sent him? God sent him. Who could have a better teacher than God? And then he says this. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who speaks for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false in him. Spending time with Jesus authenticates not only his teaching, but it draws us into a deeper relationship with Christ. And that's what transformation is all about. That's why he came. He came to show us how to live with one another in a right relationship with God and to live within that ethic that God has given, but to, but to do it with grace and forgiveness. I've heard people say that they've tried to read the seventh or the, the, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and then they set it aside. They say, it's too hard. I can't do this. Nobody can do this. Aha. That's the first step, folks, is to recognize that we can't do it. We can't do it in and of ourselves. God gives us this ethic. And when we live within that ethic, we thrive. The problem is, Sin, it's in the world. And Jesus comes to address that. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to be transformed and to continue transforming so that we are more like Christ. Not that we ever become sinless this side of eternity, but we sin less. Because God is at work. That teaching self-authenticates. Self-authenticates. 
Jesus and who he is. And make no mistake about it, John wants us to know who Jesus is. He wants us to know that Jesus is fully God and fully human. He wants us to know that the grace and mercy of God is available to us through Jesus. And that through Jesus, we stand before the throne of grace without spot or blemish. He wants us to know that Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He wants us to know that the same power that raises Jesus from the grave is at work within us. He wants us to know that Jesus ascended into the heavens and he reigns sovereign Lord over all of the universe. And he wants us to know that Jesus is coming back in the fullness of time to right every wrong and to straighten every crooked path. John wants us to know in whom we believe, why we believe it and why it matters. Because trust me, it matters. It matters desperately. Jesus goes on. He pushes back. He wants them to see the, 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 the logical, the illogical conclusions that they have created within their law because the law has become an end in and of itself. The institution has become the focus rather than the creator of the institution. The law has become paramount, paramount almost to the exclusion of the lawgiver. And Jesus wants to remind them that the Sabbath is a gift from God given to us, for us. The Sabbath was created that we might have a day of rest. We were not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for us that we might take a day of rest to relax, to play to have fun, to think about the deeper truths of life, its meaning, its purpose, from where we have come and to where we are going. We do that on the Sabbath, and we rejoice in the opportunity to do that and to cease from our daily labors. But Jesus continues, he says, has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keep it? Why are you trying to kill me? Ah, you're demon possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? We just read that in chapter five. They are trying to kill him. Because not only is he working on the Sabbath, but he's calling God his father, making himself equal with God. They can't handle that. So yes, they are trying to destroy him. Jesus is on trial. He said to them, I did one miracle and you were all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcised a child on the Sabbath. But now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Again, they had decided that God was exempt from following the Sabbath. And yet, it was prescribed that a child should be circumcised on the eighth day. 
And if that eighth day happened to fall on a Sabbath, they didn't wait until the ninth day and they didn't do it on the seventh day. They did it on the eighth day. An amazing thing happens on the eighth day in the life of a child. Vitamin K, which is a clotting agent in the blood, is at diminished levels prior to the seventh day. On the eighth day, it jumps to about 150%. On the ninth day, it goes back down to normal. Go figure. So it's okay to break the law on the Sabbath if that's what you're doing. If you're doing something for someone. And so Jesus pushes back. You, 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 you do this. You break the law that you're accusing me of breaking to do something good through, through this sign of a covenant that you belong to God. Why should you begrudge a person from being completely healed on the Sabbath? The inconsistency. Oh, how careful we have to be so that our faith is consistent. That's why it is important to cultivate and develop a worldview. And I, and I hope that, that some of you take that class from Gene on uh, Born to be Bold and learning that Christian apologetic because you need to know what you believe and why you believe it and why it matters. Other opportunities, Colson Fellows, some of you have taken that. Some of you are signed up to take it this next year. Those are great opportunities to learn more and to grow deeper in your faith. But those are secondary and tertiary things. As important as they are, they cannot supplant what is primarily important, and that is getting to know Jesus for who he is and who he is revealed to be in the scriptures. To spend time as a student of Jesus, be it in the Sermon on the Mount, be it in the uh, uh, four chapters, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of John. There are other places as well. But those are the places where we go and we immerse ourselves in the word and they authenticate who Jesus is. And when you come to a point of scripture, don't just sit down and start reading. Say, Lord, as I approach this part of your word, would you open up the eyes of my heart that I might have a greater understanding of what it is you're trying to tell me and show me how I can apply it in my life? Those are the credentials that followers of Jesus need today more than ever. Jesus is on trial not only here in the seventh chapter of the, of the book of John, Jesus is on trial in our culture every single day. Don't talk about Jesus. We don't want to know who Jesus is. Why not? Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, it is imperative that we know who he is and what he's teaching and why he's teaching it. And I submit to you that he is who he claims to be. Jesus is on trial in our culture. But there are places even in God's church where Jesus is on trial. When the institution becomes more important than the Lord of the institution, we have trouble. Because we can take our eyes off the Lord and we can begin to focus on the minors, the insignificant things that draw us away from truth. We need to beware of institutions that promote fallen humanity, even in the church. 
rather than promote the kingdom of God. What is fallen humanity? Do we really need to be told? We see it all around us. What we need to be taught is the ethic that God created for us to live within with the knowledge that when we find ourselves unable to, 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 to stand and when we fall, to know that we can get up and we can go to the Lord and we can ask for grace and forgiveness and draw ourselves back inside that house. The house that we build on the rock. The problem is that people find themselves fallen humanity outside of the, of the, of, of the house of the Lord and they want to build their own addition. I want to decide what's right and wrong. And I want you to celebrate what I decide. Beware of institutions that promote a fallen humanity. I did one miracle and you were all astonished. Stop judging by mere appearances and make the right judgment. Who doesn't want to make a right judgment? And how do we know what that right judgment is? We know because we spend time with Jesus. And even when we do need to speak a word of judgment, we need to speak it with gentleness and respect. We need to love people where they are. We need to let them know that they are not beyond the love of God. And we know that because we are not beyond the love of God. He knows us better than we know ourselves and he loves us anyway. Jesus is on trial. And we stand on trial with him. In the culture, sometimes in the church. That's okay. Because we're followers of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, we look at the fall and say, it's time to continue learning. It's time to enroll in some classes. It's time to spend time with Jesus to soak up his teachings that we might know him and know him well. That is the gift that is given to us and the promise of the Holy Spirit we are not yet what God created us to be, but through his grace and his transforming mercy, we are no longer what we once were. Those are the credentials of a true believer whose life is being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And as I've said over and over again, when we find ourselves on trial, the transformed life is the greatest testimony and witness that we could ever offer anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is within us. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. You know, people talk about getting that final degree and thinking, oh, now I never have to study again. And uh, the reality is, we need to be lifelong learners. 
Because a life of faith, we never arrive until the fullness of that time when Christ Jesus returns. So as you're getting people ready for that next chapter of their education, remember that you have a next chapter as well. And that it is important for all of us to enroll in the school of discipleship, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn from him, to pray with him, to grow with him, to allow our lives to be transformed. The world is desperate for a message of hope. And we have it. When we enroll in the school of discipleship, we find ourselves living in the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but there's no other place I'd rather be.